Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Joining Gregor Robertson and I today, it is Jonathan Northcroft. Gregor and Jonathan, good afternoon to you. Hope you're both doing well. Jonathan, how are you? Very well, Natalie, yes. I'm, I'm um, uh, still working through this strange period. Homeschooling is getting harder. I want to... Uh, oh, I want isn't lie, it just? But then... It is, isn't it? it is. <laughs> I also won't lie and say that I've been doing that much of it. My my wife's been uh, bearing the brunt, but uh, yeah, yeah, gosh, it, it doesn't get easier. No, it doesn't. Although this week I found that um, researching films is quite good. That's what I'm saying a lot this week. <laughs> we watch another film, shall we? Um, Gregor, how are you? How how are you keeping? I'm very well. Nat, how are you? Yes, I'm very, very well, thank you. That's Apart good. from the weather being a little bit gloomy, we were all sort of excited by the summer sun, weren't we? But that seems to have gone for for now anyway. And it's only six days to go until the Premier League returns next Thursday. We're going to be looking back on Aston Villa, Sheffield United and Manchester City versus Arsenal. Jonathan, we've been talking about Project Restart for so long and now we are less than a week away. We are, and I mean, you know, thank goodness we're here. Uh, it's just, it's, it's exciting. Uh, I'm not sure, I, there's been times during this break that I, I'll be honest, I wasn't sure how excited I actually would be. Um, I think maybe at first I, I quite enjoyed the, the space from the, the sort of mad football calendar we've got, but my, my goodness, as we get closer, it just feels great that, um, that it's coming back. And this mm. week, from a paper point of view, you know, from, from having um, a sort of strange period where you're, you're trying to persuade people to speak and get clubs to, to try and provide things that's very difficult for them to do so because of lockdown it's just been um, you know interview after interview and, and, and everyone's kind of opening up again it just feels like you know opening for business and that's quite exciting from a, a journalist point of view. Absolutely. Uh, Gregor, when you think back to, to March and, and now obviously June 17th is when it all starts up again, did you really think we'd be at this point? Did you think maybe actually the season would be curtailed? Oh God, yeah. I mean, there was certainly periods where I thought this would never happen. We'd never see this day. But, you know, things, the, the news cycle moves on and um, I'm just glad that there's going to be some actual football to talk about because it's all, you know, the the project restart stuff was kind of from one day to the next it changed and it all, it all became quite exhausting after a while really so I'm just glad that everyone's kind of put their differences aside in the end and we can look forward to watching some actual football. Absolutely so coming up we are counting down to that Premier League return and Gregor attempts to make sense of another mad week in the EFL. All that to come after this. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So with just six days to go until the return of Premier League football, Bournemouth find themselves in a tricky situation with their star man, Ryan Fraser. The 26-year-old's contract expires on the 30th of June and he's yet to sign their contract extension into July. This would leave him free to sign for another club on the 1st of July, despite the season not being finished. It's a similar situation to Lyle Taylor, who's refusing to play for Charlton for fear of injury that would scupper a potential move for him. Uh, Gregor, we we spoke in detail uh, about Lyle Taylor previously. You defended him. I presume you're going to have the same defence for, for Ryan Fraser if he doesn't sign a new deal at Bournemouth. Yes. Um, I know that would be unpalatable to a lot of people, but I think this is a, an extraordinary circumstance. And... I think it's important to remember that, that that the reality is the club is the is the party that has the upper hand in the vast majority of these circumstances. If you look at the list of players who are out of contract, the ones who have been given a you know a little mini extension, the likelihood is they'll be moving on. Mm. Uh, so and also there are some people, there are some players, Jordan Ibe for one, who who are will be kind of cast aside now. So. Um, Ryan Fraser is one of the marquee kind of uh, free transfers available this summer, but uh, I, I think that we have to remember that he's he's in the kind of minority. There's more players who have got an uncertain future ahead. Uh, Jonathan, is this, it's a difficult situation that Ryan Fraser finds himself in, and players in that similar situation. But should they actually be in this position? Should they be actually allowed to refuse to play? Well, I think in, in general terms, yes, I do, I do take Gregor's point about the, the position players often find themselves in, which is you know that the clubs have got the upper hand and so on. But I think specifically to Ryan Fraser, I, I'm disappointed, um, but I think he's a bit different to the Lyle Taylor situation. This is a guy who his club have put a huge amount of investment into. That he joined them at 17 from from Aberdeen. Um, Eddie Howe took him. I think Eddie Howe even collected him from the station when he arrived in town as, as, a, as a little kid and has been a father figure to him, put so much work into him on an individual basis, uh, guiding him off the pitch as well as on the pitch. Um, and Bournemouth have you know, pr- propelled Ryan Fraser into the, into, the, into the Premier League. He's learned his trade there. And I think for him to show such um, kind of scant acknowledgement of that by, by not just signing to play for another month or whatever is disappointing and, and, and behind all of that I know he's left as his long term agent um, who's very put a lot of work into into helping him on a personal level as well um, because of this prize of a, of, of a, of a big move going on I, I do get that players have got to maximise their careers but you do hope that they show a little bit um, of, of appreciation for who's helped get them there so this one doesn't sit as easily with me I'm afraid um, it, it, you know, I've, I've always rooted for Ryan Fraser as an Aberdeen lad, um, and wanted to see him do as well as he as he as he as he can. But this does sort of sour things just a just a tiny bit in terms of mm. I'll be honest how I, how I look at him. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I can understand what you've just said there, Jonathan, about your disappointment. 
And is that even more enhanced, Jonathan, when you look back to January when he admitted that for the first part of the season, he really hadn't given his all to Bournemouth. He he said, I felt bad about it. This last month, I've been trying to put it right. I think everyone knows by now what's happened, to be honest. I'm just trying to play my football. But obviously, it affected me for the first four months of the season. And obviously, he's referring there to, to summer links to Arsenal last last year. So when you hear what happened in January with him having to apologise to Bournemouth, it's it's as though he hasn't really learned from that and he's put themselves he's putting himself into a bad position with Bournemouth fans again i know i mean it's, it's it, you know I, th- I think he was sincere in that interview i'm i'm sure he was um but it is as if now push has come to shove he's made the same kind of choice all over again which is to 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 put himself first i i know players have got to put themselves first to a certain extent but um he he ran down his contract this wasn't a scenario where the club didn't believe in him um that he had to sort of prove himself or whatever. He he ran down this contract because he wanted to leave. If if there's a criticism of Bournemouth, they probably made a strategic decision, a strategic mistake, not to allow him to go last season when when Arsenal were there. But that's 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 a kind of balance of club. So they get some of them right, some of them wrong. Mm. Um, he does he doesn't seem to have delivered on what he said in that interview, in this decision he's made. Gregor, it's an interesting one. I've heard a lot of people debate the issue of, well, the club shouldn't have put that player in this position in the sense that they should have offered them a new deal, etc., etc. But obviously, some of these players won't have wanted to have stayed at Bournemouth or at Charlton or wherever they're at right now. Should the decision to extend contracts have been left with the players or should it have been taken out of their hands? I don't think it could be. I think that's the that's the problem, really. You know, FIFA had the ruling, I think it was in April, saying that contracts could be extended, but there's no way that the, that, that could have been, you know, every country has its own laws, and the contract stated that when the uh, when it ends, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't end at the end of the season, it ends on June the 30th, so there was no way around that. And I think the thing is here is that it's the immediacy of it, you know, often, well, not that often in the Premier League, but players do come out of contract in the summer or early May when the season ends, and there's you know a window there's about two months between then and the start of next season here they're going to be playing more games in a short time frame there's going to, after a pretty disrupted prepara- uh, preparation period um and then when they return back there's going to be maximum a two week break before the start of the next season um you know i just think that this this is if you if if in ordinary circumstances you'd pick up an injury in the last couple of games of the season, unless it was a really serious thing, you the chances are you would be fit for the start of next season. Here, you could be missing the first two or three months of a season, and and that could put off a club. So, I I, I understand what Johnny's saying, and the the thing about a lot of investment and whatnot. I think that you know the club didn't do that to to be kind of kind to, to Ryan Fraser, they did that because they believed in him and they thought he was going to be a good asset for them and probably one that, as he said, they, they, they probably should have sold 12 months ago. He's wanted to leave for a while now and he's had, mm. I think he's had interest. Uh, so uh, he probably didn't want to be here this season. That's that's part of the reason he hasn't performed in quite the same, quite the same way as he, he did the season before. Well, Ryan Fraser was star for Bournemouth last season with eight goals and a whopping 15 assists for the Cherries. But with speculation rife about a potential move to Tottenham, his form has tailed off this season with just the one goal and four assists in 32 games. So, 
Jonathan, I know you, you, you've talked glowingly about him as, as a player. How highly do you rate him? Do you think he is capable of playing higher up in the league for a top four side, let's say? Oh, I do. I, I, I can see why there's such interest uh, from those, those big clubs in him because um, he's got electric pace. He's got a tremendous uh, sort of that combination of the, the, the size, the low centre of gravity, the close control makes him really difficult to... To, to challenge when he run, makes his runs into the box. He, he wins quite a lot of penalties and fouls. Um, he's got very good delivery from, from set pieces. And he's got that bit of that bit of, sort of fight, I suppose, spark about him. He's a, he's a player that doesn't want to let the game pass him by. He wants to, well, or, or before this period anyway, he, want, he always seemed to want to make an impact in it. And, the, you know, the stats speak for themselves from, from last season. Any player that can deliver... Uh, that that productivity um, from from a wide position um, is is going to be very coveted, um, and he's the right age at 26. I think if he does go to a Spurs or 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 an Arsenal or whatever, I, I do think he'll be a, a, a really successful signing. It's interesting. I was speaking to the Sheffield Wednesday manager Gary Monk earlier on, uh, and he we brought up the subject of players refusing to play for their current clubs. And he sort of speculated that you do wonder if certain clubs looking at that player as a prospective new signing would start to reconsider it based on their character and the fact that they are refusing to play. Do you think Gregor Tottenham, for example, would still want him if he refuses to play for Bournemouth? Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think that's the <laughs> that's the yeah. daft thing about yeah. football. There's so many double standards. You know, they, Tottenham have got Jan Vertonghen out of contract. I'm sure they would like him to play for the remainder of the season rather than taking a move to Italy or wherever he's he's uh, reported to be moving to potentially. Uh, so, you know, they'll be, they'll be having those conversations on the one hand and then this, <laughs> at the same time saying to Ryan Fraser, you know, we'll happily sign you now because he's probably the best free transfer there is um, around at the moment. I've, I agree. I, he, is, he is he is someone who has got potential to be to play... In a top four side, definitely. I, I speak from experience. Actually, I've been played against them once in the mm. in the Carling Cup uh, when I was at Northampton Town in 2014, and I didn't enjoy it one bit. I have to say, <laughs> I was playing left back, and he was right wing, and he works his socks off. He's it, uh, the thing I was struck by was how intelligent he was in his runs too. He's constantly, this could be uh, backing up what Johnny was saying about Eddie Howe's investment in him because. He was making some really smart runs across, you know, across me and in between the centre half and the left back, and centre, yeah, and 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 it, it taking up really difficult positions to mark. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, he works his socks off. He's got a great delivery, um, and as Johnny says, he's a little fighter. He's a little warrior. So um, he, he's a mm. an absolute bargain for for any mm. team in the top four. But there is that that issue, as you rightly pointed out, Gregor, of double standards in football. We all talk as fans sometimes and sit back and think, well, why would you want to sign somebody that's refused to play from their previous club? But actually, he's a free transfer. Why would you not want to take him is the other issue you have in football. But do you think, uh, Jonathan, that the clubs do do their due diligence on a person, on a player's character? And that would be an issue potentially for Ryan Fraser. I think it would be a question mark that they would look at, but as you say, Nat, they, they, there's a lot of due diligence done now um, in, in, in modern football. Clubs have got starting to really get that side of things right. You know, there's clubs that do even 
you know, hire detectives to look look at potential signings properly, and they comb through social media feeds, and they certainly speak to a lot of people around players to try and find out if they're the right fit. So, look, I, th- I think basically, while this isn't the best situation, what what they would probably find if they if they looked around Ryan Fraser is is a kid that's been, as Gregor alluded to, has put in an enormous amount of hard work himself to 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 surmount the challenges he has because of his size and to, to make the, the, the change from Scottish football and, and to come up through the divisions and, and um, you know Eddie, Eddie Howe is I think quite sort of bruised by all of this because he, he, he loved him as a kid probably probably still you know feels a lot of affection towards him but mm. it's somebody that Eddie always spoke really highly of in, in terms of the, the sort of lad he was as well and and you know, it'll make clubs look at him, but I'm sure they'll come up with reasonable answers about him. Mm. Uh, there are a number of players who are out of contract this summer. Some have signed short-term contracts. Someone like Adam Lalana has done that at Liverpool. He's uh, 32, of course. Fraser, as we know, is 26. Is Ryan Fraser, for you, Gregor, the best free signing this summer of all the players he can think of that's available in the Premier League? I think so, yeah. I mean... As I say, Lalana is, is will be a, still a, a very good signing uh, for someone. Leicester obviously linked with him. Uh, I always liked Jeff Hendrick at Burnley as well, and I, I saw the other day he's been linked to AC Milan, so um, that would be a surprise. <laughs> but he's, he's he's a good player. Um, but I think you know I looked through the list the other day, and I think he is the, I think he is the number one, particularly because of his age. And I think that's the other thing that kind of he is in his mind. This is his, this is his peak and his biggest chance of earning this move. You know, it's so all the all the risks will be will seem kind of greater for him now. If he was to get injured, then you know what would would the chance be gone forever? So I, I understand all the arguments, and uh, I can see that fans would not be fans in particular would be bruised by this and perchance his teammates and Eddie Howe but I think uh, sometimes you have to look out for number one Jeff Hendrick Turf Moor San Siro hmm interesting (laughs) I know yeah (laughs) (laughs) wow that would be some move wouldn't it crikey look out for that one how would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, still to come, we'll look ahead to the return of the Premier League. Hooray! But first, we have to talk about League One. The regular season is over after clubs voted to curtail the season, meaning the dreaded points-per-game system sent Coventry and Rotherham up to the Championship, while Wickham replaced Peterborough in the playoff places. And that's despite Peterborough taking 22 points from the last nine games to put them in the playoff places. The Peterborough director of football, Barry Fry, has branded the decision a joke that has cheated his club. Do we agree with Barry Fry, Gregor? No. I mean, yes and no. (laughs) I'm going to be very kind of (laughs) on the fence here. Look, I completely understand. They must feel so bruised by this and that, you know, if it had been a week later or a week earlier, even, you know, things could have been very different. Um, I just I just can't see how it could have been decided in any other way, any other practical way. All those other solutions that were put forward were either something that you would need a kind of some kind of spreadsheet to work out or they were just ludicrous about expanding the playoffs to almost an infinite number of clubs. I think Ipswich even apparently suggested that the playoffs should be open to anyone who wants to enter them. So like <laughs> people were people were just always looking out for number one. And that raises a whole other avenue of questions about about how this is decided but at the, at the same time I, I can't see how there was a fairer way to halt the season in this, mm. uh, as it was you, you feel like so you do have to have some sympathy for, for Peterborough like we've just mentioned you miss out because of the points per game system and Wickham actually as a result moved up to third in the table having been eighth before this curtailment happened do you think, Jonathan, there were any viable alternatives to finish this season? Oh, there probably weren't. I mean, it's it, someone's got to be at the sharp end, and I do feel for Peterborough. Um, but that's the, you know, that, that, that's that's where we are. That's that's just the consequence of having a, a curtailed season. It, on a wider sense, it didn't make any sense financially for any of those clubs who had nothing to play for to, to keep mm. to keep playing, and that would be the majority. So they had to curtail the season. I feel very sorry for Tranmere as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, th- I think I might have said on here before that my, my, my bigger reservation about curtailed seasons is actually relegating anyone as a result of it because relegation is such a big penalty that it, it, it seems particularly unfair to impose it when a season hasn't been completed. Whereas when it comes to promotion, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one, but you're, you're kind of losing out on what might have been rather than losing out on something tangible, which is your your actual league status. So I think that's actually the harsher uh, penalty. It it was estimated it would cost each club around half a million pounds to end the season, meaning, as Jonathan has just mentioned there, that the majority of clubs voting had little or nothing to gain from playing on. 
Uh, Gregor, do you feel as though it, it, in some ways it was wrong for clubs to be able to cast a vote? Should the EFL been the ones that actually made the decision? Yes, I think th- I think that's the thing that has been illuminated by this kind of this whole process is that there's no leadership, and it comes back to the really the way that the framework of of governance in football, and per- it, it's particularly kind of obvious in the in the football league, where clubs have such different um, priorities and and sort of financial uh, might, and that's even in, within League One, as we saw, you know, we've got Sunderland and Portsmouth and. Peterborough are well backed. Um, there are clubs that could have afforded to play on and wanted to do so. I think, and then there's and then there are clubs that are really kind of on the breadline and and will struggle to survive if there's no 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 fans inside stadiums and in, for the rest of the year. So there's been no leadership, no leadership throughout. But that's the that is the the framework that governs the English Football League. It's it's a members club. So the members the members create the rules. Uh, and they decide. So you know, the members create rules, and then they decide how to uh, how to. They're judge and jury almost. So it's it's not it's not a straightforward scenario, and it was um, everyone was just voting out of self interest. Hmm. We know it wasn't a unanimous decision by League One clubs to end the season. So some did want to carry on, but and I am assuming here, Jonathan, does it sit well thinking that some clubs would have known? that their playoff spot, for example, was secure, therefore voted to end the season. But in actual fact, they still want to play on to see if they have a chance of going up to the championship. Uh, Yeah, of course. Of course, self-interest comes into it there. But, I mean, we come back to the realms of just dealing with imperfect solutions. Um, When it comes down to it, um, people are always going to vote on self-interest and there are going to be people who will benefit more than others, and, and that's just what's happened here. Um, for you know, Fleetwood would tell you, for example, or, or Wickham would tell you that they've, they've earned this, and why shouldn't they be able to, to take it? Because as things stand, they'd had a better season than, than Peterborough. Mm. And you mentioned there's some sympathy for Tranmere. They're another club who have suffered as a result of the season ending early, having been relegated alongside Southend and Bolton. Uh, Tranmere were three points from safety with a game in hand when the campaign was halted in mid-March. Their owner, Mark Palios, said, I've no doubt that we would have survived had we been able to play on. For Tranmere fans, this will leave a burning sense of injustice. Gregor, do we expect to see legal action from clubs? I really, I, I hope not. Actually, I just don't, mm. and I, I don't see there being it being very worthwhile. I don't think they would succeed. I understand how bruising this will be. Tranmere won the last three games. Uh, Mark Palios has been a great voice, actually, of of kind of reason and sense through a lot of this. I think until he until he made this proposal, which, as I say, we kind of you read it, you read it, you had to take a whole evening to read it in the first place and then uh, you needed to kind of get the calculator and and it didn't really actually have any kind of finality, it didn't say where the playoffs should start and and finish you know, if you expanded them too much then you might as well finish the season, it's just it was never going to be voted through so I understand it but I don't think they will succeed so I think it would be 
I think it would be a waste of time, to be honest. Mm. The, one of the saddest parts of all of this, of course, is the financial implications that clubs find themselves in. Uh, we knew that short-term measures were being taken, so you had wage cuts, wage deferrals, sort of furloughing of staff, but now, sadly, we are hearing of job cuts. Uh, Peterborough, I know, have had to uh, make redundancies. One of the, Some of their coaches have left their position, and this is all because there is no no games to look forward to, no gate receipts, no other revenues coming into the club. Uh, and Tranmere last night revealed 20 members of staff were also made redundant. And this is all down, Jonathan, sadly, to a lack of football. It is, and I think the road's going to get harder um, as, as the months go by without fans in stadiums, even if even if clubs start to play again. At that level, the income stream isn't there. And, and I think, yeah, we, we, we could be at the start of a, of a real contraction Football-wise, um, as we've said on here before, there has to be a top-down solution. There has to be a way of filtering some of the, the, the money from the top down properly to try and safeguard jobs and safeguard clubs. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone has uh, really come up with a formula for doing that. I know when you speak to Premier League clubs, they'll tell you that, what you know. first of all, they feel that they, they, they support the pyramid well enough already, but the other thing that they mention is... Um, the, the, the sort of poor governance um, in, 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 of some of these clubs and, and perhaps at league level, you know, they, they sort of worry about pouring money down a drain. So there has to be, a, I think, a very honest conversation about how to keep the pyramid going and keep a lot of the, the clubs that are going to be affected going and, 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 and maybe uh, improvements in how they're run or rules or wage caps or something like that to ensure that if there is money coming down, it's, it's, it's used properly. But, you know, sad to say this, 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 there's going to be a lot of ordinary people affected by this within football, and that's before you even get to the players. You know, the, the, these conversations are being had, and there's mm. it's particularly about wage caps, and it's expected that League One will introduce a probably a £2.5 million wage cap and League Two £1.25 million, which is a considerable contraction from what the... What, what the average kind of wage, wage is just now in those leagues. But again, coming back to the way that they're governed, is that when you look into the championship, there is no consensus for this because there are so many owners and clubs that have got huge, <laughs> huge might financially and they want to be able, they don't want to, to vote to kind of restrict yeah. themselves from spending money to reach the Premier League, which is the golden ticket for them. So the you know the, the the wage cap started with talks about ten million in that league, and it's now up to about eighteen. Um, and they're talking about the way to police them. And again, you're you're talking about you're talking about asking clubs to decide how to police wage caps that you know they're policing their own rules. So it's it, it, it's the way the, the governance is another thing that needs to be looked at, and and that all stems from the the breakaway of the Premier League and the mm. FA has has no power anymore really to. To, to govern to govern the football clubs in this country. Mm. Looking ahead though to, to the short term, Gregor, and the League One playoffs, it is Wickham against Fleetwood and Oxford Portsmouth before that uh, final uh, at Wembley. Who are you tipping then to make it up to the championship? <laughs> it's difficult, you know. There's the the things we've been speaking about, you know, about home advantage and stuff. There's still there's still issue. Wickham and Pompey had the had the best home records in the league. Wickham is a horrible place to go to, especially when they have uh, Bale, Ak and Fenwell up front and you're trying to mark him and, and uh, hmm. get round them to win a header. So, you know, but their their home record, part of that was was the fact that they're little Wickham Wanderers in League One and uh, 
teams didn't like going there much, but there's no fans in the stadium now. And same with Pompey, who had one of the best supporters in the league. So Fleetwood were on a 12-game unbeaten run. Oxford won the last five, but so much time has passed that the form book goes out the window. I know I'm kind of playing for time here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just get to the point, Gregor. Okay, okay. I'm going to say Oxford. I think... I don't know. I think uh, Matty Taylor up front scored a lot of goals just before it, it, it finished. They've all they've had a really good front three in particular. Um, and I don't know. I think they, they're very inconsistent, but on their day, I think they, they're probably the best of those teams. So I think I'm going to have to go for Oxford. Okay. And just a final point on these playoffs. We know that they're going to be taking place at Wembley. Does that feel a bit odd, the idea of a soulless Wembley and a playoff final, Jonathan? Uh, it's, it's a bit sad. I mean, I've listened to, you know, what Greg has told us about what it was like playing at Wembley for him. And I think it's sad yeah. that some of those players are going to be denied that chance. But I guess, you know, if you, you might as well be in an empty Wembley as an empty anywhere, if that makes any kind of sense. You know, at least you do get to say you've played at Wembley. Um, it's not as if there are any other grounds that are going to have any kind of atmospheres. So it's a bit sad. It will, it maybe will look like a bit of an anti-climax. But um, by the way, I, f- I just quite fancy Fleetwood for this. I, I hear the same at Oxford, but I just think that they, I think they've beaten all the other three in the playoffs already during the league season, and um, they they were on a pretty good run. Well, let's just hope then it is at least an Oxford Fleetwood final. And then we'll truly see which one of you's right, because that will make it exciting, that's for sure. But the wait is nearly over. We are less than a week away before the start of the Premier League. Wednesday night sees Aston Villa take on Sheffield United, then Manchester City host Arsenal. The last time we saw Premier League action was Leicester's 4-0 win over Aston Villa on Monday, the 9th of March. And it is Villa who kick us off again then at home to Sheffield United, exactly 100 days later. Hopefully you've both got a Premier League table to hand because we're going to be looking at this, I'm sure. But when you look at the Premier League table as it stands, what are you most excited about seeing concluded, Gregor? I think uh, actually probably the the race for fourth. You know, the top the top three. I would say Leicester are going to be pretty secure in third, and obviously the other two are miles out ahead. So. The race for fourth, there's now, you look down to down to Arsenal in ninth. They have a chance, an outside chance, but they have a chance. Um, and, you know, Tottenham have got Harry Kane back. Uh, Sheffield United are still in with, a, in with a chance, amazingly, of reaching the Champions League. Uh, them and Wolves are the kind of insurgents. And Manchester United were in such great form beforehand, and you've got the prospect of... Pogba and Fernandez in the same midfield and a kind of coherent looking Manchester United team for the first time in, in quite some time. And Chelsea are obviously, we've said they're, they're showing their intent for next season, they really need to hold on to that, that place to attract the kind of players that they, they want to mm-hmm. sign. So I think there's a lot there's a lot of stories involved there that, that didn't really look like happening a few weeks before the season uh, was, was halted. And actually when you look at the table now you think that there's you know, that's quite, there's quite a race for the fourth, for fourth, fourth place there. Okay, so top four for you. What about you, Jonathan? What, what excites you most when you look at the table and what could happen? Yeah, I think Gregor's right, actually. I mean, there will be drama at the bottom, of course. It's, 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 
a classic dog fight with 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 you know three teams level on points and you can make cases for 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 all of them um perhaps the, the break benefits Bournemouth because it's it's given them a, a, a breather and a chance to to sort of get them you know maybe pick up some momentum that they'd lost but um you know even even Norwich aren't totally out of it just because of the the way they play their football, this might just the summer football um, with a young team and nothing to lose. It might just suit them. So there's a lot of intrigue at the bottom, and I don't think, by the way, I don't think Liverpool winning the title will, will be without a certain drama because I know it's a formality, but you know this is this is one of the greatest weights in English football history that we're about to see mm. um, um, coming to an end. So there'll, there'll be a certain resonance to that, but if if just on a pure football kind of competitive level I do think Greg is right the, 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 there's so much to play for in that fourth possibly fifth spot if Manchester City are banned from Europe um, and there's, the, the, there's there's cases for all of them I'm actually looking at Wolves and thinking are you the dark horses there because of uh, just the intelligence of Nuno's management and the, um, the, the fixture list they've got the fact that Europe might come in, in, in August rather than during the season, the, the conclusion of the Europa League, so they'll have a chance to concentrate on it. But my goodness, you know, Manchester United, is, with Pogba back and Rashford back, Chelsea with the signings, uh, the intrigue of Jose Mourinho at, 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 and, and, and Harry Kane back at Spurs, all of that. And then Sheffield United, it, it, it's, a, it's a brilliant, it's so hard to call that one. It's going to be a brilliant race. It will be a brilliant race. I just want to pick up on what you mentioned about Liverpool and that that weight of expectation now to to win the Premier League title. Liverpool fans won't want me to say this, obviously, but bringing Gregor into this conversation as well, do we secretly hope that Liverpool have a little bit of a blip so that they make it a little bit more interesting? (laughs) Uh, No, to be honest, I I think actually to see them just get the job done because the other thing is, you know, there's just this whole conversation about the asterisk beside the beside the title. If they win the next two games, then it, it, or if they win most of the games, the, the the gap is going to be so enormous that you know that sort of conversation always becomes redundant. So yeah. I want to see them just absolutely gallop over the line now, really, just to confirm it. Because I feel so sorry for them, I really do. Yeah. I think it's the same way. You, I think it was it was it Austria. When they saw them lift the league, and you know they were all socially distanced, standing <laughs> on the podium, kind of celebrating together, but with no one around them, it's going to be so. You know, I mean, they will be elated, but it'll be it'll be so hollow compared to what they were expecting. When I mean, you think back to the scenes in Liverpool when they won the Champions League, and they're on that open top bus, and I'm sure they'll do it one day, but God, who knows when that's going to be? So. I want it to be kind of emphatic for them because then that that really puts in the bin that idea of it being a, not a proper league title win for them. I think they'll be absolutely on a mission to do that to to try and win every game, you know, finish the season with a record number of points and and um, obliterate any idea that this is a, a a kind of compromised title. And there's another um, sort of factor to put in, I think, which is that if you're a manager like Jurgen Klopp, your whole your whole ethos and brand is about intensity it's about getting the players up to this fever pitch of intensity that they have to fight for every ball run every yard win every game and I don't think a manager like that ever wants to let it drop because if you let it drop you then 
there's a there's a kind of loss of something that might come back to haunt you in in future seasons, and the next season will begin very quickly after this one. So I think he'll want them to stay at this fever pitch because that's his culture at Liverpool, and he's a great one for setting them challenges. He's already been saying to them, "Can you be as intense in an empty stadium?" As you are with fans there, you know, just, mm. just putting that little seed in the players' minds. So I think we'll see a strong Liverpool in these last few games, and um, it, you know, it it, it it will be worth watching them. I, I, I think, and, and it will feel like a moment when they win the title. And something both of you mentioned as well. It seems as though you're both sort of optimistic and positive about Manchester United. It's been a long time since we've all been hmm. talking so fondly about Manchester United and maybe rediscovering their best as such. What's changed, Gregor? Why, why are you suddenly speaking so differently of United? Well, yeah, I think that, um, first of all, they're starting from a fairly low base. Uh, <laughs> but I think, I think no, having Rashford back, that, you know, I think when there were certain players that they lost through the season and they felt it so, so keenly, Rashford was one, Pogba was another, the addition of Fernandez, he was, he's been a revelation, really. So you know, now everyone is fit, really. Luke Shaw at left back as well. Uh, there just looks to be the kind of at least the basis of a of a team going forward that 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 could narrow the gap a little bit. Uh, you know, I still think they need to add they'll need to add a striker, a centre half certainly. Um, I think you know, I just think the fact that they've got them along with Tottenham are are one of the kind of the biggest beneficiaries of 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 the of the break. They've had a chance to get players back fit and I think we'll probably see that in the running. And where does this optimism stand for you then, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, I mean Jagger makes the right, the right case. Um, I think Fernandes had, a, had a, a real sort of catalytic effect, a catalytic effect on, on, on United, just brought them that extra ingredient, a bit of quality in the middle of the park that they hadn't had. But other, other players were starting to grow. You know, Wambasaka was finally starting to evolve as a as a fullback that could do the attack, uh, the defensive side, the, so the attacking side as well as the defensive side is what I was trying to say. Um, and you know, Rashford was in incredible form before his back problem, but he's going to be he's going to be back. Um, the momentum was was starting to build, and then there's the Pogba factor, and I think playing this type of almost summer football with a slightly lower pace will will really um, help Pogba in his game. So there's a, there's a lot there. For United to, to, to look forward to on the pitch and, and a sense that it's maybe starting to come together at last. We should have a, a quick word on, on the bottom end of the table and the, the relegation fight. As as it stands, the relegation zone is made up of Norwich at bottom, Aston Villa and Bournemouth, Watford and West Ham only outside the bottom three due to better goal differences. Is that the bottom three that you think will be the bottom three, Gregor, come the end of the season? Uh, I mean, it's really hard to call. And, uh, you did, you did say previously that you thought uh, Norwich, having no yeah. fans in the stadium, yeah, yeah would benefit yeah. Norwich. You know, I'm going to double down on that. I think Norwich <laughs> could make a fight of it. And uh, wow. look at the, the first two games: Southampton and Everton at home. I think that will make or break it for them. I think if, much like we were discussing beforehand, Brentford, they've got uh, Fulham and uh, West Brom in the in the Championship. If those two games, it could really define whether they have a chance or not um, and I, th- I feel that you, when you look at the, 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 the issue of there being no fans inside the stadiums the teams who the teams who are going to benefit most are the teams who have kind of who need it most I think who need <laughs> who need some kind of 
factors at play to that that sort of gives them more of a chance. And uh, I, I think there's no no team better placed than Norwich to to benefit from that. Well, that is it for now. Many thanks to Gregor and to Jonathan as well. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We will be back with you on Monday when, guess what? There'll be just two days to go until Premier League football is back. Don't miss it. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.